my name is Cheyenne Myers. Um, I've been going to this church since I was two years old, so that's 16 years. Um, I became a Christian and I got baptized at the age of seven at this church. Um, I had, I've been having the really rough few years these past three years. Um, at the age of 15, I was having really bad stomach pains and so I went into the hospital and um, they diagnosed me with them. I had a ruptured ovarian cyst, which is very painful, and so I got surgery for that, and they removed that. Um, then about a month or two months later, I went into the hospital again, and I had the same pains in my stomach. Um, they did a lot of testing, and they decided my gallbladder wasn't working, so they took that out. Um, about two months later after that, I went back into the hospital, um, and they did a bunch of tests, like probably over 15 different types of tests on my head, my stomach, just a bunch of different tests. Um, and so as I was going through that, I just kept asking God, like, why he had put me through this pain? Why am I the one that has to suffer? Um, why, what did I do to deserve this? Um, as I was going through that, I had a great support system. My parents were there always for me. Um, my mom actually stayed in the hospital every single night. I don't think she went home any time, barely. Um, the church also prayed for me every single time I was on the prayer list. Um, everyone would call me and tell me that I was in their prayers. People would come and bring me food. I was always hungry. Um, and then Dave and Corey came and prayed for me a few times as well. Um, some of the nights I would get really like sad and wouldn't understand like why God would put me through that. And um, so I would just listen to worship music with my mom and we just pray and um, sometimes I was just lost. And, but God always was there for me and I had great friends and family and the church family was also here for me a lot. Um, so I was just really thankful for that. And um, I guess like what I would say, um, it brought me a lot closer to God because even in my worst time, like it was the worst pain I've ever felt in my entire life. Um, God was always there for me. He never let me down. I would always go to the hospital and during that two month period, I'd be totally fine. Nothing would happen with me. And then at that two month mark, it would just hit and I'd be in a bunch of pain. But God was always there for me. And um, last summer, I actually got to go on a mission trip with our church to Haiti and I did not get sick that entire time. So I was blessed that God kept me safe and didn't have me get sick. Um, and then I haven't gotten sick since January of this year, so 2014. That was the longest time, so it's been, I don't know, eight months almost? So eight months since I haven't been sick, so that's the longest period of time. So hopefully I'm done getting sick. And now we started this service, and I just feel like God's put on my heart to really help and be part of this service. So um, I'd encourage everyone that even in your darkest times, just go to God because he's always there for you because he definitely helped me. Thanks, Cheyenne. All right, today's scripture reading is in 1 John. We're going to continue on about learning how to abide in Christ. Oh, I almost forgot to announce this, and I don't see that it even matters. But just so you know, we do have Sunday school and child care for, for Sunday night services. So if you want to use it, it's out there. Uh, last week we had some younger ones, and I forgot to announce it, so... I think I'm getting this announcement thing down. All right, 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 18. It 
And I'll be reading from the ESV. The words up on the screen will be from the ESV as well. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you, you, you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this time, and God, we thank you for your word. We pray now, Lord, for your Holy Spirit just to fill this place, Lord. Help us to not only understand your word, but to apply it to our life, to move it into action. God, we give this time to you now. And may the words of my mouth be edifying to you, O Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, they say uh, you got to dress for success. If you want success, you got to dress the part. So yesterday, my wife signed myself, and uh, Nick, uh, the worship leader, went along with us, and Kayla. Uh, we, we went to this zombie run. Uh, it was a one-and-a-half-mile one zombie run. It was an obstacle course. And so I was getting ready, and I put on some shoes. Now, it was the first time I've actually ran since my Achilles tendon got repaired in, in January. And when my wife first signed me up, I was like, what? Why would you do that to me? But because she signed me up and she's been really gracious with me over the summer, I was like, I got to go. So when I was getting ready to leave the house, I said, wait a minute, I got to dress for success. So I, I put on my cowboy hat, right? Because if you have a cowboy hat on, you're bound to be able to escape all zombies, okay? The, the, the lead character, the main character in The Walking Dead, he's got a cowboy hat. And he does really well. I heard he survived for four seasons or something like that. So, uh, so I was like, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get caught by any zombies. I'm going to have my cowboy hat on. And you know what? My trusty hat stayed with me the whole time. Elise told me as I was leaving, she's like, Daddy, you're gonna, it's going to fall off when you run. I was like, trust me, Daddy doesn't move that fast. <laughs> so we, we, uh, we got started. They said go. And uh, we, we take off running. My strategy was like, okay. I told Nick before we started, I was like, here's what we got to do. Let the group go ahead and the zombies will first go for them and then we'll go around. You get three flags on 
and, and zombies try to steal your flag. So it's kind of like flag football mixed with obstacle course mixed with theatrics. And so, so anyway, uh, they take off. And I learned something early on about my wife. Don't trust her. She'll lead you astray. <laughs> my wife quickly was like, go get that person. Here, take this one. Shoving people into the zombies. I was like, oh, my goodness. It was all about survival of herself. Well, she lost all flags right in the very beginning. Then her strategy became, I have no flags. I have no flags. Leave me alone. Go get them. So I, le I learned right away, my wife will lead me astray. No question about it in the zombie apocalypse. So I was doing really well. Even going down into the pools, you had to crawl through these pools. And I'm like, don't open your mouth. Don't open your mouth. You know, <laughs> I think Kayla opened her mouth. So I think she should make any guy who wants to marry her sign a disclaimer saying that they know she opened her mouth in the zombie pools. So <laughs> but um, anyway, so we, we run through. I'm doing really well. And I, I ended up finally losing my flags uh, during the run. And so I, I was dead. But, but the, rest of the, the rest of my mission became keep Kayla alive because she had one flag left. And we got her through to the finish and got her to survive. So there was some victory even though my cowboy hat didn't win for the day. But you know, tonight's chapter is all about not being led astray. And, and like I said, I didn't trust my wife anymore to not lead me astray. She'd totally throw me to the wolves. And you know what? John wants us to know, us little children, that there will be people who will come, people who even seem like they're Christians, people who are called pastors, people who we want to trust, but they will lead us astray. Because it's the last hour. That's the very first verse there. Children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. The Antichrist is an interesting character we see throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, we first come across this person called the Antichrist in Daniel. In Daniel, he's one, uh, we're told that he'll make a covenant with many and then Sorry, my, uh, there we go. I made a change on my computer to my sermon, and my iPad was saying it was confused. The, the Antichrist is told, we're told by Daniel that the Antichrist will come, make a covenant with many, and in the middle of that covenant, in the middle of that seven years, that three and a half year marker, he'll break that covenant and cause the abomination that causes desolation. We learn that the Antichrist will end up taking worship for himself. The Bible tells us that he'll put away all other gods and people will worship him. He'll receive worship. But John kind of throws a little, a little wrench into the plan because he tells us that there are many antichrists now. And that's one of the ways we know it's the last hour. The last hour is a time, not a moment in the scriptures, but a time period. It's the time period at which Jesus Christ came and died, and the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost until now, until he returns. We are in the last hour, or as the scripture says, the last days. We are in them right now. And you say, well, wait a minute, it's been like 2,000 years since this last hour is really long. Well, we know that scripture says that God does, desires that all should be saved, none should be perished. The Lord God is waiting for those to come to salvation that will come to salvation. I strongly believe that God wants 
all to be saved that can be saved, that want to be saved. He wants the message to go out. The Bible tells us that someone from every tongue and tribe and nation will be at that banquet of the Lamb in heaven when, when we're, we're all with the Lord. So I think, I think the gospel's still going out, and that's why we haven't seen the Lord's return at this moment. But why are we the last hour? Well, the last hour in Hebrews 1-2, it says, in, four, in previous times, God spoke through the law and the prophets, and now in the last days, he speaks to us through his son. So previous times, God spoke through the law. He gave us the law and said, hey, this is the standard of righteousness. And when we see that standard, we all cringe. We all go, ugh, can't make it. Not good enough. Or, or we go the other way and try to become really legalistic and we, make up, we start making up so many rules to not break the law that we, our quality of life goes way down because we start living for a law and not living for God. Then the prophets come. And through the prophets, God spoke to his people. We have the word, the Old Testament word. We have the, the, the speaking of God. We have the standard of God. And we see how God's people broke their covenant with him by not keeping the law. And of course, when Jesus arrives on the scene, in the last days, God speaks through his son. Jesus kind of blew the lid off the law. Because when they asked him, like, well, which law should we get rid of? He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. The law is not going to pass away. If God speaks it, it's not going to get tossed away. It's going to last. Whatever God says is lasting. So what's the solution? Well, the solution is a perfect, righteous one who can endure our punishment and conquer it. And that was Jesus Christ. He took our stop. He took our place. So then at the day of Pentecost, they quote from Joel, and it says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on the people, and they will prophesy, and they will dream dreams, and they will have visions. And that's for the last days. We've been given God's spirit. We're going to talk about that more in just a minute. Let's move back to the Antichrist, though. Knowing that we're in the last days, John warns us that these antichrists, many will come. There's many antichrists. Well, who are the antichrists? Let's look at the passage here in 1 John. It says that they went out from us, but they were not of us, verse 19. For if they had been of us, they would not have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. There's a word uh, that we use for someone who goes away, who turns away from the truth. It's a word, the word is apostate. And it, and, and it's, uh, it comes from a Greek word, the, the preposition is apo, and it just means to, to go away from, to go away. So an apostate is a person who goes away from the truth. And so as John is here talking about they, those ones, those teachers, those people, they went out from us. They went away, they turned away, and they left because they weren't of us. The truth wasn't in them. And we want to be, be really careful in these last days to look to God's word first to be able to understand and gauge what truth is. 
Because the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. We're easily deceived. We can easily have the wool pulled over our eyes, so to speak. I remember one time uh, I got a knock on my door early one morning, and I had this big dent in my truck. And it was a guy who came to fix trucks or body work. And he said, hey, look, if you give me a couple hundred bucks, I'll have this totally fixed. I'm like, really? You can do that? I was like, I don't have 200 bucks. He's like, well, what about 150? I was like, 150 is pretty good. And I don't know anything about body work. I just know that, um, you know, it's expensive when you go get body work done. And so uh, I was like, well, all right. But, I, you know, I got to go to the ATM. And uh, he's like, well, how about I go with you? I was like, yeah, that's not happening, buddy. I was like, you start working on the car, I'll be back. He's like, well, I'll tell you what, I'll be back in a few. I'm like, okay, fine. So I went and got some money. Uh, was hanging out. He comes back. And he's like, okay, I'm going to start working on your car. Cool. So he comes out, and I hear some banging and stuff. I was like, cool, he's actually doing this. This is awesome. My car's going to be fixed. Laura can't complain about me uh, messing up my truck off-roading. Because actually, I, I did it by hitting the tr- actually sliding into a tree. It's kind of. So, um, anyway, so uh, he, he, he fixed it. Uh, well, he did some stuff, and then he rubbed some, I don't know, some liquid clay or something across it. And he said, cool, it's done. And I'm like, that doesn't look done. It's like, no, it's done. Just let it harden. Let, let the sun dry it off, and then you're going to wash this off, and it'll be perfect. I'm like, I don't know about this. He's like, yeah, trust me. I'm a, I'm a dent li- or uh, whatever, dent perfection person, whatever. I was like, all right, fine. So I gave him the money. Waited. <laughs> so you guys are all looking at me. Like, You're dumb. <laughs> so I, you got to understand, I want to believe everybody. That's just who I am. I just want to believe everybody. And uh, so I, I go, I wash it off. Sure enough, there's just, it's just a mess. Uh, it, it, he totally took me. I was deceived. You know, I was deceived with that. And maybe you were smart enough to say, yeah, that, don't do that. But I'm sure there's been times in your life where you've been deceived or you've bought into an idea or a philosophy that was bad. Um, the whole church bought into a bunch of bad philosophy from youth pastors. I was at a conference one year and, it was all about the emergent church, and it's all about, it was all about, hey, you know, kids, they, they, um, they, they can't worship in normal ways anymore. They, they need to express themselves in different ways. And this youth pastor's conference when it had this whole prayer walk thing that you have to simulate. And I went into it, I was like, man, this feels so much like uh, just uh, mysticism, and, and uh, it just doesn't feel right at all. So I was like, I'm, I'm done with this. Later on, we have a whole church group that moved towards this stuff, and then they left behind the scriptures. It's called the emergent church today. So we want to be careful not to be deceived. It's the last hour, and there's many antichrists, and they will go away from us. Uh, there's a pastor who calls himself an evangelical, and, and now he lives in Laguna. He's very famous. His name is Rob Bell. Maybe you've heard of him. But he recently was interviewed in the or, uh, they did an interview in the register about evangelicals and evangelical Christians being redefined. Let, let me define what an evangelical is real fast. If someone says to you, oh, I'm an evangelical Protestant, a lot of us are like, I don't even know what that means. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Lutheran, I'm a this, I'm a that, and I'm an evangelical, I'm this, I'm that. And, and so we get confused in the Christianese, okay? 
Well, an evangelical is, just holds to a couple things. And you can find out right now if you're an evangelical. An evangelical is very conservative when it comes to the Bible. Okay? They're going to believe that the Bible is literal in its words. And it means what it says and says what it means. That's what an evangelical is. An evangelical says that the Bible is God's inerrant word and inspired. Okay? So if you, believe that, that if you believe that the Bible says what it means, means what it says, and that it is God's word, you're already two steps towards being an evangelical. Then an evangelical also believes that Jesus Christ died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, for the sins of, of, of everyone. Okay? That Jesus' death can cover yours and my sins. And it's only by Jesus' death, not by works, but just by Jesus that our sins are paid for. So maybe some of you guys are three steps towards being an evangelical. The fourth thing an evangelical believes is that you must be born again to be called a Christian. To be, to be a follower of Christ, to have that new life, to be forgiven of your sins you must be born again, born anew, born of the Spirit of God, and you've repented of your sin, you've turned towards Christ, and you said, I want that forgiveness you give to me. I want a new life. So, maybe some of you guys are evangelicals now. You're like, well, yeah, I'm an evangelical. I didn't know that. So that's the definition of evangelical. Well, the newspaper article in the register was all about how the face of evangelicalism is being redefined. And in it, it was saying, well, we don't really hold that God's word is inerrant anymore. In fact, we don't even hold to God's word that much anymore. It's more about reading into it to get what we can out of it, not reading it literal. Well, by definition, that's not an evangelical. So I have no idea why the, the register said evangelicals are being redefined. That is an apostate. That is someone who has gone out from us because they were not of us. They did not have the truth in them. Now you can say all you want, well, I really like the guy or I like that person. That's fine. I like other people. I like people. In fact, I, I, bet, I bet if Rob Bell and I went out for coffee, we'd probably get along and we'd probably have some good talks. But he's still an apostate. As long as he holds to those views, as long as he's turned away from the truth. So I want you to realize that John is warning us, watch out for these antichrists because here's what they do. They deny the Father and the Son. In fact, later on in John's letter, he'll tell us that they deny that Jesus came bodily. They'll take it even a step further. Well, Jesus, if we deny Christ, we have turned away from the truth. And that is following an antichrist. 2 Timothy 3. I'm going to read this passage, so you may want to turn there or we'll pop it up here on the screen. It's a little bit of a long read, but, but it pretty much will define everything you need to know about an apostate. Or one who's gone out. 2 Peter 3 verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will, come, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, 
unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Okay, I don't know about you, but when I read that list, I'm like, wow, that pretty much is nailing our, our, our culture. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's, that's our culture. And, and, I, and I, I think this is also basically going to be a worldwide culture. And I think this is where the world is going to. So Paul warns us about that. Then he says this, having the appearance of godliness but denying his power, avoid such people. So these people in the last days that are embracing this sin, self-loving, pleasure, their own, their, own, um, their own wealth, their proud, arrogant selves, they're going to have an appearance of godliness. The, the word there is uh, a metamorphosis, or they'll, they'll look just like they're godly on the outside. But Paul says, have nothing to do with them. This is what John is telling us. Listen, if you see people that have appearance of godliness, test the fruit, test the spirit. See whether or not they measure up with God's word. Don't just follow. And especially be careful not to go, well, you know, if they're leading you into sin, maybe it's okay. Maybe it's, maybe it's, it's fine for me to do this now. I mean, this is what's happening all over America with the church. The church is starting to say, well, let's not call this a sin anymore because we want to embrace it culturally. Let's not call this over here a sin anymore because we want to embrace it culturally. The problem is, though, is people aren't being healed of their sin. Instead of telling the truth, saying, hey, look, this is a sin. This is where Scripture says it's a sin. The sin leads to death. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now we say, well, you know, just feel bad about it. Or you don't even have to feel bad about it. In fact, God didn't really mean that in his word. Go do what you want to do. And of course, those who want to do what they want to do, yes. But now they're not even hearing about the hope the good news we have in Christ Jesus that we don't have to be judged for our sin. That Jesus Christ took that sin upon himself on the cross for us. So they have this appearance of godliness. Meanwhile, they're leading people astray. Verse six, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions always learning and never able to arrive at knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So uh, Paul gives us this illustration from Jonas and Jambres, and we don't, this is the first time we find out their names, but these were the two sorcerers that, that tried to fake miracles when Moses was going before Pharaoh saying, let my people go. And, Moses, and Pharaoh was like, well, why should I? And Moses said, because the living God says so. And, and he said, well, prove it. Fine. Threw a staff down, it becomes a snake. And Jonas and Jammer said, oh, we can duplicate that. We're going to duplicate that magic trick. Of course, 
Moses was doing it by the power of God. Jonas and Jamrus, probably by some demonic power, they were doing it. But, but the point was to lead people astray, to convince Pharaoh that the living God is no God at all. And you know what? The same purpose today to convince you that God's word is not God's word, to convince you that the living God will accept you just as you are in your sins, that he's not righteous, that he's not holy God. The same purpose is today. But see, we need to know who God is and what his standard is because when we learn that standard, we go to the cross and we find the solution for our sin. So it goes on to say this in verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Have you ever wondered, Christians, why you don't totally fit in with the culture as much as you want to? You just don't totally fit in. And you know what? You never will. As long as you're in Christ, just get used to it. You're not going to do what everybody else does. You know, the best illustration I can give, you know, we were down at the street for all weekend, the Christian is not going to be the one drunk in the crowd. They'll never fit in with the party crowd. As much as you desire to be a part of the world, as long as you're in Christ, you can't. In fact, the Bible tells you that what's going to happen if you are in Christ is the very opposite. You'll be persecuted for Christ. Now, in our country, nobody's cutting off arms because you're a Christian, but you'll be kicked probably out of the party or not invited because you're not that much fun. In fact, the Bible tells us that you're the smell of death to the ungodly. Your righteousness, even if you don't even say anything, you're just there like, oh, hey, you used to drink with us, right? No, I, I became a Christian. Right there, you are judging them. That's what they'll say. Why are you judging me? I'm like, I didn't say anything. I'm just a Christian. <laughs> you become the smell of death to the ungodly. You'll never fit in. And then persecution comes. So how do you want to know that you're really in Christ? Well, you're going to start having uh, persecution from jobs, from friends, in your high school, in your college, in your workplace. I just was talking to somebody today, and they were saying how much they dislike their job. And I said, well, why do you dislike the job? And she said, because I'm not like them. I used to be, but I'm not anymore. I'm not like them. I don't want to step on people to get ahead. I want to serve people. She's become a Christian. That's the difference. So Paul says, hey, you're, <laughs> the, these imposters will keep going. They'll keep deceiving. Meanwhile, we're going to keep moving forward in faith. Now listen to this. I'm going to skip down to verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So, how do we know the truth? How are we going to know the difference between these antichrists and 
the real deal, the real Christ? Well, it's the Word of God. That's why we have it. We have the Word of God so we can measure up what people are teaching. The question, however, is do you know it? Are you reading it? Are you into the Word of God? Listen, I get asked this question all the time, so I'm just going to tell you right now. People say, well, where do I start if I want to read the Word of God? Well, let me, let me encourage you this. Get to know Jesus. If you've never read a gospel, read the Gospel of Mark. It's short. You, you, you can read through it. Think about Jesus. Get to know him. How he responded to people. How he talked to people. Then go into another New Testament book. When you're ready, after you read Mark, come talk to me. I'll, I'll suggest another book to you. But that's how we're going to know the difference between these Antichrist and the real Christ. Is we're going to be in God's word. Knowing the truth. That's the key to abiding in Christ, is being in his word. If you know the truth, it's really hard to believe a lie, isn't it? It's really hard to believe a lie if you know the truth. I, you know, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, the sky is black, did you know that? You're like, no, it's blue. No, it's black. I'm looking at it, it's, bl- it's black. No, it's blue. It's daytime. I mean, maybe if you were looking at night, it would look black, but it's daytime. Nope, it's black. You just be like, all right, you're just crazy. If someone came up to you and said, two plus two equals six, you're like, no, it doesn't. It equals four. Because you already know the truth. It's really hard to be convinced of a lie when you know the truth. You can't be deceived. The Bereans were commended by Paul or by, in the book of Acts because they were of more noble character. They not only heard the word of God, what they, the disciples were teaching, but then they went and searched the scriptures daily to find out if what they said was true or not. Are you guys doing that for me? You come in and sit in on a sermon. How do you know I'm telling you the truth? Be good Bereans. I may be an error in some way. Check it out with the scriptures. Find out if what I'm saying is true. Second thing John says in this passage is that not only do we know Christ and we know his word, but we've been given an anointing. Did you see that? It says that, but you have been, verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. You've been anointed. Well, if you're in Christ, you've been anointed. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, when it talked about anointing, it would be for a king or a prophet and they would pour oil over them. The oil would run down. And it was symbolic of a covering of God's spirit upon the person. Well, you and I received an anointing from God when we came to, became Christians. We were sealed with the spirit, the Bible tells us. It, it says this in, um, in Matthew. I'm sorry, I lost my place. Apologize. Sorry, I'm sorry, in John 16, verse 12. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus said, I got a lot more to say to you. I got lots to tell you about. But I can't say it now because I'm going to a cross. But don't worry, I'm sending someone in my place, the Holy Spirit. And what a wonderful idea that Christ, the Holy Spirit was sent to stand in for Christ while he's gone. Because while Christ was here on earth, 
you know, can you imagine there'd be a line of the church all waiting to, I got a question for Christ, I got a question for Jesus, I got to ask him about this, and we wouldn't ever get probably to talk to him. But by sending his Holy Spirit, you and I all each can partake in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit can guide us. When I was at the youth pastors conference and I, I was in that prayer thing, inside it was, I was hearing, this is not of me. This is not godly. So I said, yeah, I'm not going to do this. It was just mixing up pagan religions with Jesus Christ and his church. And I wasn't going to be a part of it. Listen, if you hear that small voice inside, start training yourself to listen to God's spirit. When you open up God's word, train yourself to hear God speak, especially when God confronts you. Don't ignore that. Hear it. Listen to it and submit to it. If you start living your life in opposition to God and God starts saying, hey, turn, 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 come back this way, don't ignore it. The Bible says it's called quenching the spirit, grieving it. Don't do that. Listen to God's spirit because the fact is, is as we get older, our eyes and ears are going to fail. But our spiritual hearing and our spiritual eyesight should get so much better. We should be able to see things so much more clearly and hear things from God much more clearly if we start practicing now as, as we live out this life. So God had much more to say. Now, ultimately, this passage is talking, I think, primarily first to the disciples because they were going to write out the scriptures. But I think it also is talking to the believers as a whole because we can gauge truth and lies by using God's Holy Spirit. He's given it to us for that purpose. You have been anointed. Don't forget that. You've been given God's Holy Spirit. You should be using it. You should be communing with God through His Spirit. Lastly, this passage talks about living for His coming. We, John warns us about these antichrists, but he says, you know, I, I don't really have a need to teach you this stuff. You already know it because of the Spirit of God. That's just saying that, not, not that we don't need to sit under teaching, but that the Spirit of God has made these things known to us and we can say, yeah, that's not, that's not from the Lord. This is, other, this is from the, the enemy. I'm not going to believe that. But then he says at the very end of this chapter, now little children, abide, live in him, in Jesus Christ, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Think about that for a minute. I, I don't know about you, but when I was a little kid and somebody would come to the house like my grandma or uh, somebody who was visiting, I would get so excited to see my, my cousins or uncles or grandparents. And, and I'd kind of like run around the house looking for something new to show them because I hadn't seen them before. So I would go like, oh, i got to show them or tell them something new. My kids do it to this, this day. They'll come up, they'll go find something like, oh, I want to show Grandma this. And, and they're excited to show something new because Grandma's coming. They're excited to see Grandma. Are you excited to see Jesus Christ is coming? <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we got to ask ourselves, am I excited to greet Jesus Christ? Because here's the deal. If you're not excited to greet Jesus Christ, it's probably because you got some shame. It's probably because you want to hide because you did something wrong. And you know it. 
You know you're not right with God. You know that you're living apart from him. But he is coming. And that's what John is letting us know that, hey, these things aren't just going to continue on and on and on. We are moving towards an end. And there will be a time at which God, Jesus will return. He will judge. He will establish his kingdom. And he will put an end to sin and evil. The question is, though, are you one of the righteous ones? Or are you one who wants to shrink away in shame from Christ? See, the righteous ones that will be known because he's righteous, right? He's the righteous one. And we'll know we're of him. Because we're righteous. The word righteous just means right with God. That's all it means. I'm right with God. I'm a lover of God. I want to be like him. I want to grow to be more and more like him. And that's, and that's one of the evidences that you are in him. But those who shrink away, those who hide and shame at his coming, I don't want to be in that category. I want to be excited to say, Jesus, I'm so excited you're here. i got to show you something really cool. We had this conversation the other day, and we, I told them, you know, I want to be excited to meet Jesus, talk with Jesus, be with Jesus. What about you? Well, if you're afraid, if you're afraid of meeting Jesus, there's a solution for you. That's Jesus Christ. The, the Bible tells us that it's appointed once for a man to die, and then the judgment. So the question is, what will you do now? 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He's already paid the price for your sin. All you need to do is say, I want that. I want that salvation. I want to have new life in him. I want to be born again. He's already paid the price. John 5.24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me, has eternal life. Listen to this. He does not come to judgment, but has passed from death to life. Those who are in Christ have no fear of judgment because you've passed from judgment to life. Christ has, the, the, the theological word is, imputed his righteousness onto you. He's placed his righteousness onto you and taken away your unrighteousness. It's a pretty awesome deal. The question is, what do you want to do? Do you want to be afraid or do you want to accept it? And that's, that's the offer for you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that we will not be deceived because of your word. Your word is truth, Lord. We will not deny it. I pray now for each and every one in this room, Lord, that you bless them. Keep them in your word. Help them to grow in the knowledge of you. And if there's anyone here tonight that's ready to cross over from death to life, they're ready to cross, to move out of that, the line of judgment into the line of eternal life, I want you to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. Forgive me of my sin. I turn from it now and I turn towards you. I'm ready to be a follower of you. Thank you for dying on that cross for me. I'm giving you my life now. Lord God, we thank you and we love you that we can have life and have it to the full in you. Bless our worship now and our communion. In Jesus' name, amen.